Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money. And I'm convinced that by the year of 2030, the NFL will convert to a passing league just like rugby. Welcome, 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 world, to yet another episode of Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. And I can't get my intro right, but I will tell you, I need to step on a soapbox straight off the top on this episode, Malcolm. Give it to us. The NFL is confused. Okay. With itself. The No Fun League? The No Fun League. Yes, that's what you want to call it. Um, My rant at the very top of this show... Uh, sometimes I run conspiracy theories of my own through text threads with friends. Okay. And one of the things that I've been testing on my friends is, will the NFL be around as it's currently constituted years from now? And I'm convinced after watching a little bit of football, Clay Matthews hitting people um, and getting called for falling on top of someone, mm-hmm. that the NFL is just confused. So, do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. What are your thoughts on this whole, like, you can hit somebody, but not really? I think everybody else is confused. Okay. I think the NFL has it very well, clearly figured out. Okay. They are protecting their number one product. Right. What jersey do little kids buy when they go to the pro shop to buy a jersey? Quarterbacks. The quarterback. Absolutely. Who do you turn the channel and say, I'm not going to watch that game because X isn't playing? Right. The quarterback. Right. Tom Brady was out for all of... It was like a season season or two. It was season 13, 14. Yeah, yeah. Matt Castle comes in. The uh, New England Patriots go 11-5 and and nobody cares. Right. Because Tom Brady's (laughs) not on the field. Why is Tom Brady not on the field? Somebody lunged at his knee, tore his ACL. He can't play football anymore. The very next season, Uh what happens? There's a rule against hitting quarterbacks below the knee. Aaron Rodgers goes down. Somebody lands on top of him. He breaks his shoulder and he can't play. Right. So now the following season, what happens? Landing on top of the quarterback (laughs) is now an offense. Right. It has nothing to do with the NFL caring whether you want to see flags on stupid penalties or not. Right. It has everything to do with the NFL saying we are going to protect our number one product. We only have 32 of these guys. <laughs> we're going to do We're going to protect them at all costs, even if it means a few feathers get ruffled, right. a few defensive players call us out, mm. and the fans like you don't like it, but you keep watching. Right, right. You're going to keep watching for Aaron Rodgers. Now, I don't know if I'm going to keep watching. Be- and, and, and let me tell you something. When I found out the language for the the particular rule that got changed about roughing the passer, which it didn't get changed about, though, it didn't get changed. It just now started enforcing it in it's the way been, that it's written. Right, it's been written. Okay, so for me, the thing I think it says. Well, I'll just read a portion of it. I actually pulled it up. A defensive player must not unnecessarily, unnecessarily, or violently throw him down and land on top of him with all or most of the defender's weight. Mm-hmm. What sport are we playing? That's like saying you can't touch somebody in a wrestling match. So to me, it just underscores like, so this is my this is my conspiracy theory part. To me, it just underscores how unsafe of a game it is at all. Mm, to I, I don't to know. me, that's I mean, what it underscores. 
it's not the gladiator sport that it once was. I'm right. with you on that. The challenge I have is that it's so unfairly lopsided. If I'm a player, right. like there's a guy that plays for Miami. I can't remember his name. He wears number 93, plays defensive tackle. Mm. He was going to make a sack on the quarterback, and then it flashed into his mind that he better not let his full 350 pounds land <laughs> on this quarterback or he's going to get a fine. Right. He tries to move, bangs his knee on the ground, tears his ACL. Ah, do I care more about that guy than I do the guy he was going to tackle? Why are they not? Right. You know, so that kind of creates an issue for me. If I'm a player, like, how am I supposed to do my job? Because you want that guy to be able to do his job better than me. Like, right. You, you know what the end result for me is? I'm going to a soccer game on uh, Saturday, and I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Because um, I feel like that's going to be my new number one sport, aside from, of course, rooting for the Los Angeles Lakers. Until um, they try to get the concussions out of soccer. <laughs> and then now you got another problem. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, uh, we've been talking about sports, but this is a show called Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, this episode is about uh, hot headlines at the end of summer, Malcolm. We're at the time when the sun starts going down earlier. Uh, so we thought we'd take a moment to kind of review some of the hottest headlines. Um, and we just went through the NFL as a headline and what's going on with their rules and how they don't realize they're a contact sport. Um, <laughs> but in other headlines, as we always do, um, Nike sales defy Kaepernick ad campaign backlash. Um, lots of people have heard about this. This was a, a September 2018 piece uh, that I pulled from BBC News and pretty much everywhere else. Right. Uh, Nike released an ad featuring athletes of all stripes, including LeBron James, Serena, uh, and a couple other people. Um, a couple, uh, the, the other guy from uh, the Seattle Seahawks who plays with one hand. Um, it was narrated actually by Colin Kaepernick. Um, immediately after online sales grew by 31%, um, and that was over a holiday weekend after the uh, ad launch, and that was according to a researcher, Edis researcher Edison Trends. Um, I know people who suddenly felt inspired to buy Nike stock. We do a whole show about money and mm -hmm. managing your money, but what inspired them was this ad to go buy stock. So I'm like, well, what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> but I uh, will say though, the first stock I ever owned was Nike. Well, that's right. It had absolutely nothing to do with Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> it just, you know, since everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, suddenly right. I want to throw that out there. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and upon release of the campaign visuals, some took to social media to exp express pleasure and or discontent. Um, the latter by lighting their Nike shoes on fire, which has become a popular thing since LeBron did the first decision all the way back when, when he left Cleveland the first time. Uh, people need to stop doing that. It's super played out. Did you see the person who lit the shoes on fire while they were still wearing them? Yeah, and his feet were all burned up. Yeah. Just anyway. Unfortunate. Um, and then some, some reactions in the wild was what I wrote here. And what I meant was there were some reactions that happened immediately after. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was from the Times-Picune um, on NOLA.com uh, reported that Nike purchases have been banned from Kerner Recreation Programs. The Louisiana city of Kerner, Mayor Ben Zahn issued a memorandum demanding that the city's recreation department and any booster clubs operating at its facilities no longer purchase or accept delivery of Nike athletic products or any apparel that features the company's famous logo. And this was somebody who was the mayor for a city in Louisiana. It's kind of funny. <laughs> like, where do you even start with that? Right. Um, the, 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 I guess the declaration or whatever it was said under no circumstances will any Nike product 
or any product with the Nike logo be purchased for use or delivery at any city of Kerner Recreation Facility. Um, this was according to the memo, which is an official mayor's office. It was on the official letterhead for the mayor, um, and it was signed by Zahn. Um, it makes no direct reference to the Nike campaign. This was a, a couple weeks now, a couple weeks ago now. Um, but a Kerner councilman from the same city, Gregory Carroll, responded to the memo in a public Facebook post where he said, I was not made aware of this decision beforehand, and it is in direct contradiction of what I stand for and what the city of Kerner should stand for. I'm 100% against this decision. I will meet with the mayor and other council members in an effort to rescind this directive. Um, so Malcolm, we've discussed taking uh, corporations that is taking a reactive stance mm -hmm. to social issues. Um, recently, this is all recent stuff, CBS executive uh, Moonvez was removed from his position after uh, additional sexual allegations came up. Um, on him. Uber is trying to repair its image through feel-good advertising after it had like leadership and is still kind of struggling with some internal issues. Um, and then of course we've also seen recently airlines denouncing family separation policies and asking the government not to use their flights to separate families. Um, these are all off kind of off the top of my head when I was writing the show. Sure. Um, but this is the first like pr truly proactive stance I've seen a company take I think on any kind of social issue. Um, and I, we don't have to go through the history of like what happened with Colin Kaepernick. Um, but like... But it's not the first time you've ever seen Nike go this route. Really? Nike has had a history pretty much since their inception okay. of going after the... Uh, not radical is not the word I want to use, but like the 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 rebel. Okay, they've been going with the re thing about like the old Michael Jordan sneaker commercials mm -hmm. with Spike Lee in them. Right, the Mars Blackman commercials, okay. or Venus and Serena Williams. These two young black kids from Compton with beads hanging off their hair, <laughs> uh, like flapping everywhere. Right, and Nike was their first major endorsement uh, sponsor. Yeah, yeah, and so like they were the 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 counterculture to right. tennis right. Michael Jordan with his hoop earring was the counterculture to basketball like it became like this thing where Nike aligned itself with people who were not necessarily going against but they were outliers sure and so they've always kind of had this thing right. uh, from their marketing perspective at least of right. going in that direction right this was just maybe the first time that they just blatantly threw it in your face and right. said, this is where we stand and I think that like I said I think in that way it was a very uh, out there decision and choice are you surprised that uh sales spiked no <laughs> i mean it, it, to, 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 if you think about who nike's main purchasers are right they're young black kids probably 17 18 years old right who buy a 150 pair of shoes every month mm -hmm. from nike right. not the old guy who's complaining and saying he's gonna boycott and his wife right. buys his shoes from Kohl's <laughs> on the super duper duper discount rack. Right. No disrespect to Kohl's, but right. they're Kohl's, right? right? So like those shoes cost forty dollars and you're gonna buy them once every two years. Right. Nike isn't making any money off of you. Right. They're making money off of the kids that look up to Colin Kaepernick, who right. own fourteen versions of his jersey. Right? Like so they know where their bread was butter than the first place. They're Indeed. not worried about the folks who are quote unquote protesting right now an interesting thing curveball that i'm gonna throw at you um many people feel good and vindicated about nike doing this but nike which i know you're probably aware of malcolm has been in hot water itself about its internal culture and employer habits mm -hmm. um how do we square these kinds of social campaigns with the real life things that are happening in these companies um you know where we're in a social climate where things are trying to shift towards a more equal society 
like Nike's doing this thing that's very, you know, out there and a lot of people feel great about it, but internally they're dealing with some of the very same things that, you know, are the result of the conflict with Colin Kaepernick. I wonder, right? Like I yeah. wonder if on one hand they're doing this to distract from what's hmm. happening internally. I wonder who taught us how to do that. And so, <laughs> and so because folks are now talking about Colin Kaepernick and yourselves, if nothing else, you knew they weren't going to take a hit. Right. You maybe not knew they were going to spike, but right. you knew they wouldn't take a hit. Mm -hmm. So if maybe you say we're going to align ourselves with Cap and this is going to be the thing that get everybody's attention off of the folks in the house acting right. the fool, right. then maybe that was the decision. Or maybe it was a thing where you would have been seeing more campaigns like this from creative people inside the company if they were allowed to have a voice before the folks who got in trouble got pushed to the side. Right. So I, we really don't know, right. but fortunately for them, it's worked out for them versus a Papa John's who we love to beat up <laughs> on this show, who, I don't know if you heard, they're even considering changing their name, by the way. Wow. Um, but it went the opposite direction uh -huh. of a situation like that. So I, I don't know. I mean, we'll find out, right? right. Eventually all this stuff will start to right. trail out once it's been settled and and right. uh, the backstory if you're if you're not familiar with it um there was a claim filed um against three nike major nike shareholders which it alleges phil knight the co-founder uh mark parker who was the ceo and trevor edwards who was the brand president um the, that the board, company's board facilitated and knowingly ignored the hostile work environment that has now harmed and threatened to further tarnish and impair the company's financial position that was from a story i pulled from september 2018 so nike for all the praise that it's gotten on the uh you know the uh campaign it decided to release is still struggling with some of these very real uh social issues internally and i i felt like it was important to bring that up because it's not like all feel good it's like there are actual issues behind it as well um and then my last question before we go to our first music break malcolm uh my, i think this feels like the moment where Nike has put us now in the place where companies have to take a stance. There's no longer an apolitical thing. You can't take a, you can't be apolitical as a company anymore. How do you see social issues driving or slowing business for companies um, in particular? See, I, I kind of disagree. I think you still are allowed to be apolitical. Okay. I think you aren't allowed to be a idiot. <laughs> so, like, if you look at Uber, for example, Travis okay. Kalanick right. getting in trouble for literally verbally abusing, like, berating employees in front of other employees. Right. Now, that isn't a thing where you had to be apolitical or political, right. like him deciding to back Trump and be on the council and all that stuff. That's as political as it gets. Right. But right. on the flip side, his first strike was him being a terrible boss. Right. So <laughs> those are things that like, you know, you don't even have to take a political stand one right. way or another. You just have to not be an idiot. Right. But then when people find out that you have a terrible work environment and you are the cause of it, right. either you go or I stop using your product, people are very apt to vote with their dollars now as consumers and so you've got to be well aware of that and say you know what if i'm not capable of handling handling myself as a 35 year old man at that time he was or like and 60, acting like, like i have Papa some John's. sense right like maybe i should step aside right maybe i should not hurt my stock price because my overall net worth as an individual person right it's tied to how well i can get along with the people in this company <laughs> so i'm just gonna get out the way right because obviously i don't know how to act like i have some sense i can't handle it right that's hilarious well um we hope we can always handle it here on manager Dare money 
Uh, we want to remind people you, know, you can always catch past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Um, also, please leave us a review and give us a rating on any of those platforms. That helps more people catch the show. Um, and if you want to send us a question or you have a topic you want us to cover, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. And you can always catch us on social media. My handle is at MYDM1. Malcolm, what's yours? Uh, at Malcolm on Money. And of course, that's on Twitter and on the gram. And of, uh, of course, you can always catch us on Facebook facebook.com backslash manage your damn money this is mydm with ben and malcolm we will be right back fair covering money and millennials treat yourself to a copy of my book fictitious financial fairy tale a completely untrue story about money friends and moscow mules available now on big brother i mean amazon it's packed with laughs and will look great on your living room coffee table enjoy the rest of the show Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we are discussing hot headlines for the end of summer. Malcolm, we just got through talking about Nike, the Colin Kaepernick ad, which was like a really big deal for uh, a while. Um, Our next headline, the three benefits millennials are demanding from employers. This was from a September 2018 piece on Forbes.com by Paris Wallace. It is like that time of year where people start thinking about like end of year reviews and things like that. Um, With millennial talent making up more than one third of the workforce, there's no question that companies need to fight hard to recruit, hire, and retain this population. But we're finding that what used to attract talent is not what attract today's talent. 89% of millennials prioritize benefits over pay raises, and 83% of millennials would change their job for better benefits. Um, one of the benefits that the millennials are apparently demanding, Malcolm, ongoing training and development. Uh, this, according to a Gallup poll, 87% of millennials say that professional training and career growth is very important to them. Uh, Malcolm, another one, family benefits, which I can definitely relate to (laughs) at this particular moment in time. Uh, At any given time at a company, a good number of employees are either thinking about starting a family, already pregnant or struggling to balance work and a young family. Having comprehensive family benefits, whether it be fertility, infertility, pregnancy, maternity, return to work, and parenting benefits can make one company stand out from the rest. Um, you know what somebody told me the other day? One of my one of my colleagues is from Italy, mm-hmm. and he oh. was telling me that uh, maternity leave and paternity leave yeah. over there is normal standard is six months. <laughs> And hilarious. His, he and his wife just can't wrap their minds around the fact that in the yeah. States, like three, they, 
if you work for a quote unquote good company, they give right. you three months and then it's like, we've done you this great service. <laughs> it was great favor. And he's like, I can't wrap my mind around that. Like, yeah. I, you know, this is just, you know, what are you supposed to do? Right. How do you people live like this? You Americans. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, how long is like, what do you, what do you mean? Three months sounds like a, enough time to me. And he's uh -uh. like, that's because you live here. Right. Like, that's I'm telling you, there's better out there. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> there's more for you, sir. Right. Um, my wife pulled up this graph. I don't know where it was or where she found it, but it showed the kind of like parental leave you get after you have a kid in all these different countries. Mm -hmm. And literally the United States was at the bottom. That doesn't surprise me. It, I mean, it shouldn't. That doesn't surprise but me. But it's just so sad. Like if you have a family, don't plan on like spending any time with it or getting used to it or anything. It's a really unfortunate situation. Um, That's some... one of the things that I think though will change okay. as the workplace gets younger. Oh, really? I think as the workplace skews younger and, and our cohort has a little bit more say. Okay. And it's like, if you really want me to come to that company, here's what it's going to take to attract me there. Right. As those things become more normal, I hate to use him as a, a example because his name's not that great right now, but Mark Zuckerberg, for example, <laughs> as an example to his employees, right. took off, uh, I want to say it was six months for okay. paternity leave when his wife had their, their kid. Uh. And Part of it, he said, was him wanting to take time to spend with his family, obviously, right. but also he wanted to show to his employees, the guy specifically, right. if I'm taking time off, you, you should, should take, take that time right. off when your wife has a baby too, right. because it's that important. Right. And so I think as our, and Mark Zuckerberg's what, 33, 34? Yeah. So I think as, as the workplace skews younger and we look at examples like that, not necessarily our dad or granddad, who's right. like, I took off two days when your mom had a... <laughs> and I went right back to work. Right, and I was right back at work. And you know, I you know, whatever. Uh, so I think as as we get further and further away from that and right. closer to uh, our own folks having some say, right. you get a little bit more of that. Well, hopefully, and you're starting to see that with more progressive companies, as you mentioned. Um, another item that uh, millennials are asking for: lifestyle support um, beyond free food and beer in the kitchen. Millennials want lifestyle support at their jobs. With a quarter of millennials in debt and almost one third of millennials saying that managing a work-life balance is difficult, this group is looking for companies that work with their lifestyles. Uh, millennials are never off the clock, so they prioritize benefits such as flexible scheduling, student loan repayment programs, financial assi assistance, and uh, fitness dis discounts, which are all things that like those like cool companies at least dabble in. Um, Malcolm, you've been studying to become a certified financial planner. What, what do you think ongoing training and, and development is important to like our peers and to our like you know generational cohorts? I do. Um, I have intentionally stayed in positions where I knew that I was making less than I could have if I did something else or mm. went somewhere else. Okay. Because of what I was able to learn at the time. Oh wow. Because I, I actually subscribe to the mantra that you learn in your twenties and earn in your thirties. Okay. So because I was in my twenties at right. the time, I willfully said, okay, well I'll take the time and actually like learn, slow it down a little bit, get better at my craft, and in that way I'll be able to differentiate myself from everybody else right. eventually. Right. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. I think there is some value to it. Okay. Now millennials. I'm wondering, like, is our desire, like you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg wanting to spend more time with his family and also demonstrating for the rest of employees that that's like an important moment. Is that like specific to our generation or is that something that 
the previous generations were just like super deprived of so they don't even know what it looks like? I think everybody has always wanted it since the beginning of time. <laughs> the <laughs> right. problem is the companies owned you before in a way that they don't anymore. Ah, I see. Um, so like we talk about all the time how folks worked for a company for 30, 35 years and right. then rode off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing people were deathly afraid of and your employer was able to hang over your head as a bargaining chip that was p- losing your pension. That pension, yeah. Since that doesn't exist to us anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there's no loyalty right. out there for you to be, right. you know, able to say, well, if you don't do X, uh-huh. then I'm going to Y. Okay. Right. Like, you know, I, I went to college. I have a degree. I, right. I can go get a new job. I know how to be broke because I've been doing that for 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, what are you saying to me? Right. So that dynamic, I think, is a little bit different. But I think the desire of people to want to be home and spending that time with their right. family and what have you. I think people would take more time off from work if it was like culturally acceptable, especially for folks who have salary jobs. And right. You're going to make the same money regardless if you right. take all your vacation time or you take half of it. Right. The one thing that's interesting to me, though, and this will be my last question before we go to another music break, um, is it that I wonder if companies, because ultimately for a company to give you extended leave for like when you have a kid in particular, they're making the decision to sacrifice the you know what they're paying you out continuously while you're not working right and that's like a long-term view and that kind of competes with what we know to be capitalism at least currently or what it's been um so like what's the what's the i think it's a wash though okay what if do you, you think about it from a purely economic standpoint mm-hmm. when you start a new job how long does it take you to actually get up to speed to be able to do the job the way they hired you to be able to do it could take up to like eight months to a year so if i give you six months of maternity or paternity leave mm-hmm. i can guarantee that in six months i'm going to have a worker who's up to speed knows how to do things the way they're supposed to be able to do them and will hit the ground running as soon as they walk in the door. Right. If I hire a brand new person, they may flame out. Right. They may steal from us. They may all these other things. And <laughs> it could take six months to a year for them to actually get fully functional and caught up to speed to do the job the way you were able to do it before you left. Right. I might be better off just waiting for you to come back. The three to six months. Jump into the fold and, right. you know, stick with what I have. So I think I think there's the trade-offs there. Right. The company, I think, sees that. Mm-hmm. Especially when, like I said, you've got a group of people now who are demanding it more in mass and it's not a one off. But something I read to go to the the lifestyle support thing really quickly, something I read today, ironically, in Forbes was that they surveyed, uh, I think it was a thousand millennials and 86 percent of them. So 860 out of a thousand said that they would rather their company match their student loan payments than their 401k man so the shift from i want to be out of student loan debt way more than i care about saving for retirement is showing this shift in mentality that employers just aren't ready for like they're not there seeing that being that significant of a thing because they think about traditional retirement in that way and so we may see a dynamic shift in benefits offered to employees Uh, to include 401k contributions being thrown at student loan repayments instead like you get an either or kind of option do you want your three percent match over here or do you want it over here (laughs) i would take that deal uh, of course you would (laughs) well uh this is uh, another episode of manage your damn money we're talking about hot headlines at the close of uh this summer of 2018 i want to remind people you can always catch past episodes of uh of manage your damn money on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher google play and spotify 
please leave us a rating and leave us a review there. That helps more people catch our show. Um, and if you have a question or you have a topic that you want us to cover, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. And of course, you can always catch us on social media. My handle is at MYDM with a one on the end. Malcolm, how about you? Uh, at Malcolm on Money. And of course, you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash managerdamnmoney. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back to manager damn money with ben and malcolm uh we're on this conversation we're talking about hot headlines as we close this summer things you need to know as we transition into fall um malcolm another story that we pulled for this article another interesting thing uh rent versus buy millennials take a different path to home ownership this was a september 2018 piece on bankrate.com by natalie compisi um, as more millennials move up the earnings ladder, get married and start families, housing is increasingly taking center stage. Uh, though millennials have a higher number of college graduates than Gen Xers and baby boomers, they're less likely to own a home, according to the Urban Institute. In fact, their rate of home ownership was about 8% lower than Gen Xers and baby boomers at the same age. Um, among the barriers to home ownership, according to the study, uh, delayed marriage, obviously student debt, um, and then choosing to live in high cost cities, which is like the catch 22 of our generation. Um, what puzzles analysts is that in many of these cities, the cost of renting versus buying a home is about the same. Uh, an analysis by CoreLogic found that the median rent and me the, the median rent and median home prices in cities with a, with a significant millennial population didn't show meaningful disparities, meaning the rent and the mortgage was about equivalent. Um, in fact, many in many markets, the monthly mortgage at the current 4.5% interest rate was around the same amount as renting. Of course, it's important to keep in mind that buying a house uh, encompasses more than just monthly payments. So things like coming up with the down payment and maintenance costs can be a barrier for some. Um, people who live in expensive cities tend to earn more, but they also devote more of that income to housing expenses. Um, and then upfront costs for millennials are challenging. Even if you can afford monthly payments, Pulling together a down payment can be a really big problem for most uh, millennial-aged people interested in buying a home. Uh, the down payment is just the beginning as well. Buyers should should also factor in the property taxes, insurance, um, applicable home, home association fees, and repairs. The average homeowner's insurance premium, for example, is about $1,000 a year. Um, and Malcolm, what, what, what they did here was they uh, there was a chart that kind of outlined the number of millennials um the the amount of the median home 
in the area mm -hmm. and then what it was in comparison to rent. Um, so in, in Washington, D.C., if I have this correct, um, it's 35. I, I don't know what the 35 was for. Uh, I wrote something and now I don't remember what it was for. So <laughs> I just want to make that clear that I, I, I halfway don't know what I, I wrote here. Uh, but uh, in Washington, D.C., for example, um, the median home is about four, uh, $430,000. Mm -hmm. And then rent is about $2,200, which sounds about right to me. Um, Austin, Texas, uh, it's $309,000 for a home and about $1,700 for rent. And then San Diego, Carlsbad, California, um, $560,000 for a home and about $2,300 for rent. Um, and then in Honolulu, ha urban Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, $570,000 for a home, median price, and then $2,100 for rent, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, so it's interesting, Malcolm, uh, what are some barriers to home ownership for millennials, um, and where have you seen it get in the way of moving from like renter to owner? Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of, the, of a diversion from the normal scholastic answers that we used to answer that question in the past mm -hmm. and say just plainly a desire to move from renter to owner is missing ah. in a way that it hasn't before wow. like so many people that i talk to that it's just not even a thing right. like it's like well who cares why would i do that yeah like so i think you know uh, once upon a time it was sold to you that part of the american dream part of your aspirational desires should be to own your own home right and so you have generations and generations of people who every chance they got they came of age they got married they started a family one of the things that was paramount was we've got to own a home yeah now you're talking about a generation of people who watched their parents lose their homes right. in 2008 in the financial crisis and or graduated like us into the teeth of the financial crisis and they look around and go, well, who cares? Right. Is that really that big of a thing? Right. Do I want to be tied to that anchor that is home ownership? What right. if I want to move around the country or around the world even 10 times before I'm 70 years old? Right. How am I going to do that if I'm anchored with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt? Right. Those are some of the conversations that I think are starting to be a little bit more persistent right. among my friends and you know travels around wherever having general conversation uh -huh. where people just don't care to own a home. Right. So that's part of the challenge. And interesting, as a homeowner who just sent in their first month's mortgage, I actually got to transfer some money to my checking because <laughs> I got a checking in the savings. Um, <laughs> I can say that I still feel like, yo, if it wasn't for the fact that we were having triplets, I would still be like, I don't know if it was a good decision because of that whole like tying yourself to something. But then at the same time, you're subject to the rate of rent in the market and that can fluctuate um, and things changing on you. A, a developer can sell their building and they decide they want to knock the building down. Right. So those are things we are in theory like, kind of insulated from now. But my experience thus far is that the, the price for what we're paying is in line with like, you know, I call granite countertop living in DC. Okay. So like if you rent a place for granite countertops, we're about you know, at the same level in terms of what you would pay for that in this That's area. An interesting title to give it. That's how I think of it. If you have granite countertops in my mind, then like you're living clean and you know it's like a nice place. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's that, uh, Malcolm. Another story we pulled quickly moving on. 
Uh, 49% of millennials spend more on restaurant food than they save for the future. This is one of those like typical millennials suck. Question our- two just answered question one. <laughs> <laughs> right, indeed. Um, this is an August 2018 piece on CNBC.com by Emmy Martin, which said that uh, roughly half of all millennials are prioritizing delicious meals today over saving for tomorrow. Um, new data from Lind EDU, which surveyed 1,000 Americans aged 22 to 37, found that 49% spend more on dining out than they put towards retirement. Um, over one in four or 25, 27% are spending more just on coffee than they are managing to sock away. Um, and someone was quoted in the piece, with the way that a retirement account can grow quickly due to compound interest, a consumer might see some great results if they simply don't get a coffee one or two days out of the week or eat in, or eat in every once in a while and instead put that money into a retirement account. Um, so Malcolm, question for you. Are you comfortable with this approach in saving to personal finances, one that like encourages miserly habits to like save for some future? I am and I'm not. Okay. Like, I, I'm, I'm right there in the middle of the road with the folks who are like, you need to save something for a rainy day. Right. And the folks who are like, what if today's my last day? Right. I'm squarely <laughs> right there in the middle of, of both schools of thought. Right. And though I, honestly, the way I manage my own money, uh-huh. it, it proves it. Like, right. I don't save any astronomical amount of right. my income. I save nine and a half percent right now for retirement. Okay. So that's pretty high. That's not miserly to me, though. Like, right. I could afford to save more. Right. But then I also also could not afford to go to Starbucks or I could not afford to go to like grab Chipotle on my way home from right. recording this show with you right. or whatever I'm going to do. Right. Like I could divert the rest of that money also right. and get all the way up there in the double digits and feel good and pat myself on the back and right. say, you know, tell my textbooks. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> like, you know, because that's all that's going to care. Right. But you still got to live life to some degree too and so i think there has to be a happy medium but i will say really quickly at the risk of alienating some of our older listeners Uh we're not the first generation of people to blow it (laughs) the difference is the safety net right like i i I, i've become probably like annoying to older people in the sense that i keep reminding them of that pension Uh that that social security safety net that you know they love to Come at me a little high and mighty sometimes from the position of, and I have to remind them that they too splurged all the way through 40 and then all of a sudden had that come to Jesus moment. Right. I got to do something about this. So for the next 25 years, they were diligent savers. Mm -hmm. But for that first 20 years, let's say, you were going to your version of Starbucks or your (laughs) version of eating out at whatever. Right. And people older than you thought you were blowing it. So, you know, everybody goes through their phases of whatever. I just hope that eventually our generation has that same coming to Jesus moment and says, oh, this isn't going to last forever. Maybe I should actually start to sock it away in a meaningful right you know and i've i've always i'm kind of in in the sense of whether or not you save every penny i'm definitely of the thought like you save as much as you can comfortably but you do have to leave some room to to do some you know moderately entertaining things for yourself on a day-to-day basis because then what's it all for Uh, nothing it's just like some future moment but even then it's like you know uh, i i don't want to belabor it but so i have clients for example who are retirees Mm -hmm. and they've been diligent savers i mean their entire lives basically their entire adult lives they've been doing it the right way okay and saving 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 Uh for that down the road we're gonna enjoy it okay and now that they're retired they don't spend any money (laughs) 
so you know you, because you don't lose that mentality all right. of a sudden because now you've gotten there because right. that mentality that got you there right. is the thing that works so you can't unlearn that habit now you right. are very tight with your money even more so in some right. cases because you don't have that income stream the way you right. did before. And so, and so now they're worried about losing it all. Right. So they got to hold so on to it they've all. they've been deferring delayed gratification, delayed gratification. And then now you got to the point that you were planning and saving for and you still won't actually spend it. <laughs> like, it's crazy to me that I sit in meetings with clients and I say, you need to spend some money. <laughs> like, how do you pay a financial planner to tell you to spend money? But that's essentially where we are. Where I'm like, you need to spend some money. Go treat like, yourself. That, that, that's the that's the theme of this meeting today. Spend some money. That's funny. Um, uh, a little bit more from this particular story before we close the show. Um, the good news is that millennials who do contribute to a retirement fund put an average of $480 away each month, Malcolm. And that, of course, was from the uh, Lind EDU report. Um, but the downside is that far too many, nearly 40%, aren't putting anything away at all. So those folks, you know, you might need to like cut back and start putting something away. Um, a recent Go Baking Rate survey found that 46% of young millennials, those aged between 18 and 14, have zero in their banking accounts. Um, older millennials aged 25 to 34 didn't fare much better. Um, over 40% have nothing saved. So uh, if you know somebody like that who's a millennial, tell them to listen to this show and maybe we can help with that. Um, but it's interesting, uh, Malcolm, we see these like surveys that kind of it's self-reported, like mm -hmm. you just tell a survey what you've done. Do you think we can trust those or are these just kind of like shots in the dark? I think you can to some degree because we are a sharing culture. Okay. Like we as younger people tend to share and overshare in a lot of instances. Mm -hmm. And so people are very willing to be candid about what they have and don't have, what they do and don't do. Right. And I'm a little bit reticent sometimes where I'm like, aren't you at least somewhat like shamed of the fact that <laughs> you have saved zero? Right. You know, but Bruh, I ain't got nothing. And just proudly will report it. Nope, nothing. <laughs> like, I, so, I mean, so I do think that we can trust it to right. answer your question. Okay. But I'm just amazed sometimes that people are willing to be that honest about things that aren't necessarily that. Right. Should we take it with a, with a grain of salt that, like, we always see these doom and gloom stories? Oh, no, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Make no mistake about it. Uh, <laughs> that 40 whatever percent of people who are saving zero when uh -huh. they're like 30. That that that, that causes doom and gloom. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, I want to close this show of uh, episode of Manager Damn Money. I want to remind you, you can always catch past episodes of our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course Spotify. Please, please, please give us a rating or leave us a review on any of those platforms. That helps more people catch and watch our show. If you have a question for Malcolm that you want him to answer on his Malcolm's Money Minute, or if you just have a topic you want us to cover, send your suggestion to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. Of course, you can always find us on social media. Uh, my Instagram and Twitter is at MYDM1. Malcolm, how about you? Uh, at Malcolm on Money. And of course, you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash managerdamnmoney. Uh, thanks once again to our partners here at Montgomery Community Media for another excellent show. Um, and of course, until next time, be good with your money. Peace. Peace. Peace.